little uh, little Jacob, and so it's not Wally and it's not Fred and it's little Jacob this time. He uh, he says, "Look who's coming!" As he watches his brother Nick, and he watches Nick's face go as white as a ghost. Look who's coming! Parents' cars pulling up in the driveway. He and his friends had made a mess of the house. He hadn't had a chance to clean it up. In fact, Nick wasn't supposed to have his friends come over while mum and dad were away. Scenario two. Look who's coming! Little Jacob shouts and there's relief that spreads over Nick's face as he saw his parents' car pulling into the driveway. In the darkness, there'd been strange and loud noises in the backyard. The two boys had huddled together in the lounge room, hoping for mum and dad to get home soon. And so they were safe. Look who's coming. Look who's coming. These same words can bring terror or joy. Which will it be for you when Jesus comes? Many imagine themselves to be rather indifferent about that. But even we can push those thoughts to the side, busying our hearts with the concerns of the moment. But when Jesus returns, there'll be no in-between. It'll either be terror or it'll be joy. Absolute joy. No one will be able to ignore it, for for Jesus will return in all of his glory, in the clouds, on the clouds, with his holy angels, like a lightning flash filling the sky, he will appear and people will bow before him. All people bow before him. He, the judge of all. So look who's coming. Will they be words of terror? Or words of joy. You might recall last week's message on the importance of Jesus' blood. I concluded right near the end of that message that the blood of Jesus not only saves the repentant, but the blood of Jesus also condemns the defiant. Will Jesus' return bring you joy or terror? Does Jesus' saving blood bring you joy today and so the concluding verses of Hebrews chapter 9 we're looking at the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 9 the writer's thoughts come to a close on Jesus blood and these words show us why these words can be such words of joy joy for us today The last paragraph begins in verse 23, which says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now this refers back to the first six verses of chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, where the various items to be used in the or by the priests in worship are mentioned. The writer mentions each of the things that would be used by the priests in worship. All of these items were to be sanctified before they were able to be used in worship. The items themselves, 
if we think about them, the items themselves were not defiled. The items themselves were not sinful. They are simply things that were to be used. But by the sprinkling of blood, God shows that he could now enter into communion with people. So in the Old Testament, the things that were to be used in the the worship of God had to be sprinkled with blood. It was showing that God would now be prepared or could come into communion with his people. Here in verse 23, the writer is suggesting that because Jesus' sacrifice was far superior to the blood sacrifices of animals, as it was in the Old Testament, that Jesus had prepared the way for us to enter into the very presence of God. And in fact, we are the items who will worship God in his sanctuary. And we couldn't enter into God's presence without Jesus' blood, for Jesus' blood purifies us from all unrighteousness. And so in the Old Testament, God could come near to his people. Now we can come near to God. And we no longer enter in fear and trembling, but unafraid. We're confident, we're joyful when we come into the Lord's presence. In the past, no one was thought to have seen God's face and lived. And as a priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year, then a rope was tied around his ankle in case he'd be struck down by God and they could retrieve his body, they could pull him out. In days gone by, the priest could only enter into the Holy of Holies because of the sprinkled blood. But now we can boldly come into the very presence of God without fear because of Jesus' shed blood. Into God's very presence. Verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered into heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Jesus didn't enter into an earthly tabernacle or a temple but into heaven itself, into God's very presence. And once again, I think the writer is trying to hammer home the thought that their beloved temple is not to be so revered and so loved. Remember how the the disciples drooled over the incredible size and the beauty of the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus said to them, there's a day coming when not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That must have shocked the disciples when they saw the magnificence of that temple. Huge building. Every stone. And you go to the Temple Mount today in Jerusalem and there's not one stone. This must have shocked the disciples, but it must have also shocked those who were reading this book or hearing the the book of Hebrews being read. The temple was an integral part of their worship. They were proud of their temple. There are certain things that we inappropriately worship. There are certain things that perhaps you are worshipping at the moment inappropriately 
a sanctuary made with human hands and a copy that diverts our worship. It can be a material thing like our home, our garden, our car, our wardrobe, our bank account. It can be an abstract thing that something as simple as a preferred style of church service that makes us feel as though we can't worship God unless there's certain songs played in a certain way. It can be something that seeks to to fill our needs. And so we can worship family, husband or wife. We can worship our work. Anything that seeks to where we find all of our significance. We can worship those things. Heaven is being in the very presence of God. Heaven is being in the presence, the very presence of God. And we would do well to keep coming back into his presence, to be careful of that which diverts our true worship from God. This was something that Jesus exemplified. He kept returning to his father, withdrawing from the busyness to quietly sit with his dad. And in obedience to his father, he went to the cross. He loved and worshipped his father. Nothing was more important to him. Not comfort, not pleasure, not fame, not fortune, not power, not the temple, nor its rituals or religion. Let us seek to keep returning, returning to our Father. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect and complete, was never needing to be repeated. Verse 25. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Our high priest now sits at the right hand of the majesty. The redemptive work is complete. Again, draws us right back to the beginning of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3. He's sitting at the right hand of the majesty. Repeated again in chapter 7. The work is complete. As Jesus walked this earth, he walked with his father and he did only what he saw his father doing. And he showed us the way to truly live and truly love. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Live righteously and God will give you everything you need. Matthew 6.33 The sacrifice that the priests made took place year after year after year after year and it just kept on happening every year. But Jesus died once, only once, because his death removes sin. We no longer, we're no longer hoping that an earthly priest and his work will satisfy God. 
but sure that Jesus' sacrifice has secured our salvation. We're sure. Verse 26. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The Hebrew people, as they looked back over their history, they saw that Jesus came only once since the beginning. And as the writer says, that his appearing was at the culmination of the ages. And his sacrifices done away with sin. No more sacrifices are necessary. The old age is gone, the new age has come. Jesus then is the centre of human history, the culmination of the ages. He came to seek and save that which was lost and he continues today to, to seek and to save those who are lost in their sin. He came to do away with sin, to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. What a gracious demonstration of love and compassion. God giving himself to die in our place, to die in your place and my place. To offer us a free pass into the glory of heaven. To know forgiveness. To have a clear conscience today. To no longer to be held down by guilt and shame. Because that's how it was in the Old Testament. That's how it was under the sacrificial system of Judaism. Sin was never done away with. Sin was covered over. The people still felt guilty and they remembered their sin and they hoped that God would be gracious to them. And so no doubt as soon as the sacrifice was dealt with or done this year, tomorrow, today, you'd start to think toward next year and the next sacrifice that it needs to cover my sin. They felt guilty. They remembered their sin and they hoped that God would be gracious to them. But now Jesus... Jesus' blood, we're truly forgiven. We're no longer held. Sin is no longer held against us. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. We tend to remember our sin. And remembering our sin is not a bad thing. For in remembering our sin, we also remember the shame and the guilt. And that might help us or prevent us from going back and repeating those same sins. We don't like the shame or the guilt. It's a good thing to remember our own sin. But remembering the sins of others and holding their sin against them, that's not helpful. Appreciated that Kelvin mentioned that in in his talk. It's not helpful for them. It's not helpful for us. It affects our relationship with one another. And it can hold, if we're holding people's sin against them, it can hold them back in their development as followers of Christ. Instead, right throughout, we are urged to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to build one another up, to affirm one another. Not to hold one another's sin against one another. As we're reminded of the sins of others... Really, we should be praising God that they too are forgiven. 
if they've asked for forgiveness. They too are forgiven. They too can know God's forgiveness. Praise God for that. You see, there are some things in life that are meant to happen just once. We'll come back to that a bit later, but verses 27 to 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We die once, we face judgment once. But praise God, Jesus died once and for all. He died once for all time and once for all sin to be forgiven. For those, at least those who put their their faith in him, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many. I trust that you are in the many. There's nothing more certain in this life than the fact that you will die. Physically, you will die. We all die. Spiritually, though, you can become alive in Christ. You need not remain dead in your sins. And for many of you here, most of you here today, you're not no longer dead. We're alive in Christ. Through faith in Christ, you've been forgiven. Your sins have been removed. You've become alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. I trust you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you and leading you and challenging you and comforting you. As Paul said, the Spirit of God, Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So we die once, we face judgment once, but praise God, Jesus died once to save us from our sin and to give us life. Abundant life, here and now, and eternal life. But Jesus' coming was not a once-off event, and he will indeed return again, a second time. His next appearing will be to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for him? Some of us are waiting and just can't wait. (laughs) Come on. Jesus' second coming is to bring our salvation to its culmination, to transplant us, if you like, into citizenship of heaven, to being full, complete citizens of heaven. For those who are on earth at the time, They will hear the trumpet call that will reverberate right around the globe. Every eye will see him in the clouds to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for him? Waiting with joy in your heart. Not anxious, not fearful, but waiting in hopeful anticipation. Look, look who's coming. These words of terror or these words of joy that bring you joy? 
by accepting God's forgiveness for your sin, by acknowledging that Jesus' death has paid the price for your sin, you can look forward to Jesus' return. Your entry into the glory of God's presence without any fear, without any apprehension. You can look forward to that. Now, like children huddled together, we can so easily become afraid of the, the, the dark, the terrors of this dark night. We can become afraid. But let's let our light shine. Let's let our light shine for all to see in the darkness. Let's take heart. Let's take courage. Let's wait in joyful anticipation. Let us spread the good news about this, the day of salvation. Let's let others know. As I said, I believe that some things in life are meant to happen just once. You are born once and you die once. You're a child once and you grow old once, if you haven't died previously. Again, for most of us here this morning, we made a decision to follow Jesus once. And I praise God that his loving forgiveness is not a once-off offer. His loving forgiveness is not a once-off offer, but always available to us, remains available to us so that when we fall, when we sin, when we fail, he graciously receives us back again and again and again and we can rededicate our lives to him. We can recommit ourselves to him. But I want to encourage you all To make your commitment to him a once-off determination. You might have made that once-off decision that Jesus is my saviour. Make it a once-off determination. Gratefully receive his ongoing forgiveness, but please don't walk away from God. Don't walk away from your faith in him. Keep returning to him if you need to. Don't let the words... Look, he's coming, become words of fear for you. Be determined, steadfast, stand firm with your faith in Christ.